Please open your Bible to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. This morning we continue our series through the book of Matthew, our journey through the book of Matthew. And uh, I've been so grateful for what we've already received just in the first three and a half, two and a half, two chapters, two full chapters, plus a half chapter um, over these past few weeks. And uh, looking forward to the rest of our journey. And there's a great deal of talk these days about identity, identity. Our culture, our culture, the world around us generally buys into this idea that who you say you are is the most important thing about you. This is what defines you, who you say you are. So people define themselves. They identify themselves by things like who they love and who they cheer for and where they're from and what they look like, and what they feel like, and what they've experienced. The world says that who we are, how we identify ourselves, is the most important thing about us. The world says we determine the truth about ourselves. But for the Christian, this is entirely upside down. Because it's not who we say we are that really matters. It's who God says we are that matters. He is the one who determines reality. He is the one who defines truth. Why? Because he is the creator of all things. He is God and it is he who made us and we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. If we belong to him, then it's not our place to identify ourselves. Rather, it's for him to say who we are. Now, the ironic thing is, the exact same thing is true of God. It's not who we say he is that matters. It's who God says he is that matters. That brings definition to reality. This is one of the reasons why we as a church were committed to expository preaching, why we're committed to the inerrancy and infallibility and sufficiency of Scripture. The words of this book, they're God-breathed. And as such, they are the most important words we can ever encounter. They define reality for us. In light of this, whenever we come to God's word, we should always be on the lookout for how God defines himself and how God defines us, how God defines humanity. We should be asking these two questions. What does this text say about who God is? And what does this text say about who we are? Now, the text we come to this afternoon is unique in Scripture in that it clearly presents an answer to the question of who Jesus Christ is. There's no hiding who Jesus is as we come to this passage. Now, this is how we're going to approach our text this afternoon, answering questions about the identity of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Who does God say that he is? And we're going to look at this through this Trinitarian lens. As, as Christians, for the entirety of, of church history, we believe in a God who is there's one God, there's three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're going to ask three questions. We're going to say, who does Jesus say Jesus is? Who does the Spirit say Jesus is? And who does the Father say that Jesus is? And it's all going to be here in our text. But let's begin by reading our text and then coming to God in prayer. This is the Word of God. You can follow along with me if you're there. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you, and we come to your word in reverence. Uh, we come asking that your spirit would, would open, your, open our eyes to the glory of what's here to behold in your word. Thank you for the fact that you speak to us. You come to us through your word. And may we, may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive the truth of who Jesus Christ is in this passage this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I said this morning, I meant this afternoon. For those of you who are paying attention, it is this afternoon. Our guiding question this afternoon is this, who does God say who Jesus Christ is? Now this has really been Matthew's intention from the outset of his gospel. He wants his readers to fully understand and comprehend who this Jesus is. So we saw in Matthew 1 this genealogy that presented Jesus as the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew presents the birth of Christ as the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, born king of the Jews. And now as we come to Matthew 3, Matthew gives us this fuller presentation of Jesus Christ as he begins his public ministry. And what we're going to see is this. Jesus is the Christ, the suffering servant, the anointed one, the beloved Son of God. First, let's look at verses 13 through 15. Who does Jesus say that Jesus is? Who does Jesus, how does Jesus identify himself? Now, as we begin to answer this question, let's be sure not to miss the context of the scene. If you remember from last week, as Larry, Larry preached to us from the first half of chapter 3, Matthew has just described for us the ministry of John the Baptist. And his ministry was one of preaching repentance. In verse 1, chapter 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching. He was calling on all who would have ears to hear to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this repentance that he was calling people to was, was a turning away from unrighteousness, a turning away from hoping in your heritage and your history and your forefathers, all the things you might identify and your, define yourself by. It was this turning away from empty religiosity, what you do, a turning away from hypocrisy. And this repentance was evidenced by a baptism with water. But in John's preaching, even as he called listeners to repent, he told them that there is a greater one coming, one mightier than I is coming. And John's role was only one of preparing the way for this one to come. Now, this is the context, but from here, Matthew immediately turns to that one coming from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Jesus Christ appears on the scene in order to be baptized by John. I like how Matthew draws this contrast. 3 verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching, and then we come to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John came preaching, Jesus came to be 
baptized. Now, our first clue of who Jesus says that he is comes before Jesus ever speaks a word. Matthew writes, verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, if you're not familiar with Middle Eastern geography, which most of us wouldn't be, I mean, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me, Galilee to Jordan, okay. Matthew says nothing about that journey, but it would have taken Jesus several days to make that journey. Jesus had to travel some 70 miles by foot from Nazareth to the Jordan. He couldn't take an Uber or ride the train. He walked there 70 miles, and he walked there for a very specific purpose to be baptized by John. Jesus has this mission to complete, and it begins here at the Jordan River. There is a clear resolve and purpose in his action, in this journey. Verse 14 then records John's objection to Jesus' coming. Matthew does not tell us how, but John knows that Jesus has nothing to repent of. John, who just told the Pharisees and Sadducees that they were not worthy of being baptized, now encounters Jesus, and he acknowledges that he's not worthy worthy to baptize him. But notice Jesus' response. Jesus says this, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is telling him that I have a mission, a divine mandate, And you are to play a part in it right now by baptizing me. Jesus has come to the Jordan for this moment. But why? To fulfill all righteousness. He comes with this purpose, and that purpose is to do the will of him who sent him. And by taking this step, he demonstrates his dedication to walk in obedience to the Father. That's what Jesus is doing. He's demonstrating his dedication to walking in obedience to the Father. But you might be wondering, what does this have to do with the identity of Jesus? How does this answer the question, who does Jesus say that he is? Well, while Jesus himself had no reason to repent, no need to repent, he had no sins to repent of, he came to represent a people who had to repent in order to be saved. And in order to do that, in order to represent them, he had to come and identify with them. And through his resolve to obey the will of God and be baptized by John, Jesus says who he is. He is saying that I am the obedient one who identifies myself with sinners. That's who Jesus is saying he is. The obedient one who identifies himself with sinners. Now Matthew's readers would have been well acquainted with the writing of the prophet Isaiah. A couple weeks ago I talked about how Matthew is always, he's he's bringing out the old and the new to show the glory of Jesus Christ. They would have known about this prophet Isaiah and what he wrote several hundred years earlier. They would have known of the, the coming comfort that God had promised through Isaiah and the chosen servant that was going to usher in that comfort, that was going to bring that comfort. And we can read about this today from Isaiah 40 until the end of the book. And when we come to Isaiah chapter 53, we see this servant, this servant of the Lord, the chosen servant, portrayed as one who comes to suffer. He is the suffering servant. And Isaiah 53 verse 11 says this, By this knowledge, by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. 
the righteous one, my servant, God is saying, the righteous one, my servant, is going to make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus is that righteous one. Jesus knows exactly who he is and exactly what he has come to do. He is the righteous one, the sinless Lord of glory, who has come to fulfill all righteousness through his obedience. And by his obedience, in bearing the sins of many, he makes others righteous. While Jesus could have been standing in the Jordan River next to John, calling other sinners to repent, he could have been calling John to repent. But instead, Jesus is standing with the sinners, making himself one with them, numbering himself among the transgressors. The obedience of Jesus Christ is not something that's separate from his death on our behalf. His obedience in his life was an expression of his humility, and it was done for us. So Jesus comes to the Jordan, traveling the 70 miles from Galilee to the Jordan in order to be identified with sinners, to accomplish redemption. Now in Matthew, this marks the beginning, the inauguration of Christ's saving work for sinners. Did Jesus need to come to be baptized? Absolutely not. Because he had no need to repent. He was the sinless one. But Jesus came to be baptized as our mediator in order to fulfill our righteousness, to satisfy the claims of the law on our behalf. And where our first representative, Adam, where he failed, Christ came and obeyed completely and perfectly. He never failed. And through this act, through his baptism by John, Jesus points forward to exactly how he's going to do that, how he is going to accomplish salvation for God's people. It's going to take place in a death, represented by being lowered down into a watery grave. Then in his resurrection, it's represented by being lifted out of the water, and in his ascension, God is going to declare that this work is final and sufficient and finished. So who does Jesus say that he is? Jesus is the obedient one who identifies himself with sinners. He is the suffering servant. Her second question is this, who does the Holy Spirit say that Jesus is? We're going to look at verse 16. Now Matthew does not narrate Jesus' actual baptism, but instead his focus is on what takes place immediately afterward. Now, Jesus, just as Jesus is lifted out of the water, Matthew writes that the heavens were opened to him. One commentator describes how at this moment, for a short time, the barrier between this world and heaven was set aside. Can you imagine? But why? How should we understand this scene? What did this look like? Now, while there is a certain amount of mystery that, that we cannot know this side of eternity... This scene unfolds, it takes place in order to further show us, to disclose to us who Jesus Christ is. And it is seen through the Spirit of God's descent and coming to rest on Jesus Christ. The Spirit here in verse 16 is described as descending like a dove. Now, while we might be tempted to make a lot of this image, there isn't any reason to assume that the type of bird is significant. A dove would have just been a familiar bird to Matthew's readers. And the picture that Matthew is giving is one of a, just a bird's familiar and gentle descent. 
Now, does this mean that Jesus hasn't had the Spirit up to this point? That the, the Spirit is now coming? Not at all. Because from the time of his conception, the Spirit has been the ever-present compa- ever companion of Jesus Christ. But here, in this moment, God wants everyone to know this. He wants this to be known publicly. So we must come back to our question, who does this say that Jesus is? And to answer that question, guess what we're going to do? We're going to bring out the old once again. Matthew has been careful to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that has come before. And in Matthew 2, one of the ways that he does this is he, he identifies Jesus as the one from Nazareth. The word that Nazareth is de- derived from is branch. Nazareth might be called today branch town. When Matthew writes that Jesus was taken to Nazareth so that he might fulfill the prophets and be called a Nazarene, this is what, some of what Matthew would have had in mind. And in Isaiah 11.1, 1, this is what we read. Isaiah 11.1, 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This branch is Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Verse 2 then says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this is exactly what Matthew is putting on display here in verse 16. The Spirit of the Lord is coming to rest upon Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ comes as the anointed one, empowered by the Holy Spirit in his life and ministry. This is who the Spirit testifies that Jesus Christ is. Now we come to our our third question. Who does the Father say that Jesus is? As if Jesus coming to be baptized wasn't enough. We've also seen the heavens open and the Spirit of God descend, but there's more. In verse 17, Matthew's readers are given direct access to how God sees Jesus Christ. And we are Matthew's readers. We are numbered among them. We are given here direct access to how God the Father views Jesus. A voice is heard from heaven. The very voice of God the Father. And he explicitly wants us to know who Jesus Christ is. The Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Up to this point, Matthew has clearly communicated that Jesus is the one that prophets told about. He's the true king of Israel, the righteous one amidst all the other kings that failed. But here, Matthew tells us even more. Jesus is the very son of God. He is the same in substance and equal in power and glory to the Father and Spirit. And I love the the picture of of the mystery of the Trinity at work in, in our passage We see Jesus Christ coming to be baptized. We see the Spirit descending, and we hear the Father's voice. It's all right here. J.C. Ryle comments that it was the whole Trinity, which at the beginning of creation said, let us make man, let us make man in our image. It was the whole Trinity again, which at the beginning of the gospel seemed to say, let us save man. Thanks be to God. 
the one long foretold to come, the Messiah, the suffering servant, the anointed one, is now here. He is the beloved Son of God. But it's not only that, this Son of God is the one with whom the Father is well pleased. As Isaiah describes the Lord's chosen servant in that, that long text we talked about, Isaiah 40 through 66, Isaiah 42, verse 1, God says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. See that right here, 16 and 17. I have put my spirit upon him. He is the one in whom my soul delights. Matthew is saying that the one who Isaiah spoke of is right here, present in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the beloved Son of God. And brothers and sisters, when we see who Jesus is, how can we help but to marvel and stand in awe? The suffering servant, the Messiah, the King. The revelation of Jesus Christ, it, it demands a response from us. We, mu- we cannot go unmoved. And so the choice is this. Either we continue in our sin and unrighteousness and hopelessness, finding our, our identity in who we think we are, and if that doesn't work out, we just come up with a new identity and try and find it in that. Or we accept who God says we are as sinners in need of a Savior. And we then look to who God says Jesus is as the Messiah and the suffering servant, the anointed one, the Son of God. Come and see what He has done for us. This Jesus Christ comes as the very Son of God. There's no one greater than He. I love how Hebrews 1 describes Jesus as the radiance of the glory of God. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. There is no one like him. As the Son of God, Jesus is God, having the same substance and nature as the Father and Spirit. John Flavel, Puritan, 17th century, he writes, Our children are not so much our children, our bodies are not so much our own bodies as Christ was God's own Son. So you think about the relationship between you and your children, or you think about the relationship between you and your body, Jesus Christ was more God's Son than that. But though Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the one in whom the Father delights, within whom He is well pleased, God did not spare His own Son but gave him up for us all. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These few verses in Matthew 3 contain reality-defining truth for us as they put on display the glory of the one who came to live, die, rise, and ascend for us. As we conclude, think for a moment on what this means for us and for our identity. While the world says that what we think about ourselves is the most important thing about us, the Christian is able to say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As Jesus is making that journey from Galilee to the Jordan over several days, 70 miles, This is what's on his mind. He has a mission to accomplish. He is coming to give himself for the people of God. 
We do not define ourselves, but for all those who hope and trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, they, they are a new creation, and they are identified in Him and with Him. So take heart, brothers and sisters. Take heart, dear Christian. Though you cannot save yourself, God has come to rescue you. If you have been united to Christ, there is no fear in life or in death. There is no dread of judgment, no anxiety over the future. Because as the Holy Spirit rested on Christ, so the Spirit rests upon all those who are in Christ. As God declares that He is pleased with His Son, so He is well pleased with all those who are united to His Son. We have only to trust in Jesus, to have faith that His work on our behalf is all we have, all we need. May we see that all we want is in Christ and Christ alone. Look to Him, trust in Him, hope in Him. And, and let who He is define who you are. He came to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized for us. He lived for us. He died for us. And He lives again. And we can find our life in Him. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for showing us who You are in Your Word. Thank You for the goodness of Jesus Christ and the fact that there is no one like him. Thank you for his obedience to your will. Thank you that he came to suffer, to number himself among the transgressors so that, that we sinners might have life in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.